This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is brought to you in association with Footstars. Footstars are an Aberdeen-based football coaching company with a particular focus on developing the next generation of young talent from the northeast of Scotland. Specialising in the ages between 2 and 7, Footstars provide an introduction to football in a fun, educational and fitness-focused environment. With classes running at six venues throughout the city, from Banks of D to Peter Cooter, seven days a week, we're sure you'll be able to find a class that fits your busy family schedule. Footstars even offer free trials with no commitment. That's right, nothing. Please contact Murray at footstars at yahoo.co.uk to sign your kids up for their first steps in the world of football and to join the Footstars family. That's footstars at yahoo.co.uk. Back of the net. Slight of foot there. Hello and welcome along to this week's episode of the ABZ Football Podcast. I'm Gary Scott and there's no squad rotation at this podcast. Joining me again on this week's show, Graham Steele and Gavin Baxter. How are we doing, guys? Good, thank you. Very good, yeah. Um, just fresh back from uh, hiking Ben McDewey. I can confirm for all the listeners that is a very, very hard thing to do, but it is not nearly as hard as watching an Aberdeen team with Ricky Foster as the captain. And, and Graham, uh, you can neither confirm nor deny that you slipped a steward at the Tony Macaroni Arena 10 quid to open a gate. Uh, no comment. I think it's what they say in the papers. <laughs> so, yeah, on this week's show, we're going to take a quick look back at our victory in Iceland last week over Breithablik in leg one of qualifying round three of the Europa Conference League. And we'll provide our thoughts on the Don's late, late show at the Spaghetti Had as we maintained our 100% record in the SPFL Premiership. We'll then take a look forward to another busy week of action for the Dons as we'll preview the return leg against Breithablik and we'll run the rule over Wraith Rovers as we prepare to visit Kirkcaldy, God help us, in round two of the League Cup. So kicking things off, Breithablik 2, Aberdeen 3, 5th of August, the National Stadium Reykjavik last week. Guys, what, what did we make of that, that performance last week? That we like to concede silly goals. If I look at it from a slightly more analytical perspective, I think it shows that there is a lot of work still to be done with this team. They are two very bad goals to concede, and it's highlighted a weakness that Stephen Glass, I'm sure, knows that he needs to address, whether that's with personnel, new personnel incoming, or adjusting the team, the shape we have right now. So yeah, positives to be taken. You know, We score two goals, both of which were from set pieces, You know, also showing the the work that Alan Russell is um, putting in on the training ground with the guys. Yeah, the first one, which looked like a well-rehearsed and well-executed uh, set-piece routine, not one that uh, I can recall seeing from us before. And again, again, you know, there's a reaction to be had from going from 2-0, being pegged two goals back. After I'm sure Brighton were the team uh, in the ascendancy, thinking that they could go on and win the game. Stephen Glass shows his character, his willingness to adjust the shape and the personnel no matter what we've seen for the last few years Lewis Ferguson almost seemed like an untouchable presence in the team and last made the decision to take them off for the for the tactical reasons and that benefited us um, I don't think Beckham created a real chance in the second half and ultimately we get the winning goal a substitute taking the ball down for a great touch feeding the ball to Ramirez and it's not an easy finish 
puts the ball away. It would be a better result, I'm sure, if the away goal rule was still a thing. But at the end of the day, we're coming into Tawdry this Thursday in the lead with the advantage. And I think I share probably your guys' optimism as well. We can go on and take care of this and win the, win the tie and get through to the next round. It's an interesting game. Again, we go in unchanged from the, the team that uh, beat Stunt United at the weekend. Great first 11 minutes, get the early goal with Ramirez, then we double it up with Ferguson pretty quickly. <clears throat> it's fair to say probably I think the goals from Breithablik probably expose and show the weaknesses in the team that I think we all were concerned may, might be there. The first goal is a, a relatively straightforward ball over the top. Ross McCrory gets, well, first of all, badly misjudges the flight and then gets badly uh, out-muscled, I think, from the lad who makes the assist. And it's probably a penalty kick if they don't score. And then the second goal, again, it's a long diagonal over to the to, to our right-hand side. Calvin Ramsey gets a little bit caught uh, on his heels, I think, with it. Little ball inside and Considine, unfortunately, not capable of, of reacting quickly enough to it and concedes a, a soft penalty kick. And Yeah, but this, I guess to an extent, these things happen where McCrory maybe not used to playing that position uh, for us and we're got some extra players or some new players rather and we're trying to play a different way. So a little bit daft to concede, but at the end of the day, we won it um, and we're, you know, we're in the driving seat um, for the tie coming up on Thursday. So we're in good shape for the, the next leg and that's all any of us could have really asked for. Yeah, and let's not dwell on the negatives too much. You're right. Um, looking at the positives, I think it was an incredibly ballsy decision by the manager to, to hook three players at half time, make such a sweeping change. I think all of us in our private WhatsApp group were all a bit like, fucking hell, this is a bit of a, a bit of a shift by the manager here. But to be fair to him, paid off the three players that came on, shifting the changing the formation as well, moving to a three at the back. We looked so much more comfortable with the three with Gallagher playing alongside McCrory and Considine. I thought McGee did well give us a foothold in the game. And well Conor McLennan playing kind of as a as a second striker almost um in that second half. Takes the ball down beautifully from Lewis's uh clearance shall we say lays on a plate for Ramirez and the three substitutes made it made a big difference yeah very much so I'm really quite uh, excited this season to see what Conor McLennan can do I'm convinced there's a player there and I'm hoping um uh, and, you know maybe just the way we're we're planning to play might suit him uh, a little better so yeah it was good to, good to see him come on and actually influence the game excellent for Ramirez just to get another one uh, McGee getting 45 minutes in the tank is good, uh, and also, uh, I suppose the fact that he was one of the halftime changes probably shows that uh, Glass sees him featuring uh, heavily this season. You're, you're not going to change the game by taking on guys you don't really trust. So I think it's quite good to see him sort of gradually coming back into into the first team. I think it would be a remiss of us not to mention that uh, in that first half, especially when we were a bit under the cosh, Jets' work uh, without the ball was, how should we say, lacking and I think we can all uh, agree that we we love the character of Jet and the personality seems to have brought to the team but it seems as though Ojo was doing a lot of running on that right flank covering a lot of the ground that Jet perhaps wasn't and that ultimately led to Calvin Ramsey being exposed and targeted at right back. Ultimately the two goals come from that kind of area of the pitch so I'm sure Stephen Glass and the coaching staff will have seen that and will recognise that if uh, in these kind of games, perhaps when we don't have the ball so much or, you know, we need our pressing game to be very intense from all 11, Jet might find himself on the bench. 
Yeah, I'm up for conserving your energy if you then use your energy in the match. Um, I don't really see much of that, which is, you know, yeah, disappointing. I think that's absolutely a valid point. I'm not entirely certain how long his run in the first team is going to last. I think I'm going to use the Graham Hunter um, measurement scale here to, des- to describe Jets' first half performance in Iceland. Pish. So, yeah, interesting game for thought overall. I mean, it was, I thought the game panned out pretty much exactly as Jovar Olofsson, our guest on episode three, kind of set out that the game, how it would, how it would go. Breitha Blicker not scared to press high. They're not scared to pass the ball around, certainly in, in dangerous areas as far as they're concerned. I thought they were maybe a little bit more direct than, than I was expecting, but um, kind of were right up in our face, I thought, for much of the game. And at, at times in the second half, it looked like a bit of a primary school kickabout. There was just folk chasing the ball around all over the place, um, which made it quite an entertaining watch. Um, and I think it'll be interesting to see whether they adopt a similar sort of approach to the game uh, this Thursday night at Pataudry. But all in all, I think if you go away from home in Europe, you pick up a 3-2 victory, there's probably not a huge amount you can really complain about. We got the result we wanted. I've got every confidence in the world that we will finish the job. So yeah, moving on then to yesterday's game. Finishes up Livingston 1, Aberdeen 2 at the Tony Macaroni. I mean, sweeping changes in the starting lineup to begin. You know, Declan Gallagher, Jack Gurr, Teddy Jenks all coming in for their for their first starts for the Dons. Now I'm again making his first appearance of the season. Uh, Ryan Hedges coming back in and Dylan McGeoch getting a start as well with uh, Brown, Ramirez, McCrory, Ramsey and King Ojo all dropping to the bench. Obviously then Ojo picks up a knock in the warm-up and gets replaced by, by Dean Campbell. And uh, Lewis Ferguson missed out on the squad altogether, but so did Conor McLennan. And I don't think we've heard anything from the management around why McLennan was missing. But I guess all eyes initially were on Ferguson being omitted from the squad completely. Stephen Glass would be playing everything with a pretty straight back, like you said in the post-match interviews that Ferguson just simply had a knock. Ideally, hopefully ready for, for Thursday. It's one of those we've heard a lot from the Ferguson family through various uh, media channels, it's speculative so it's not going to go away. I think we just have to kind of trust the manager when he says that he missed out through injury and he'll be back for Thursday. Yeah, I mean, for me, I'm not entirely convinced by the manager's reasons for Ferguson missing out. I think the proof will be in the pudding come Thursday night um, because Glass came out after the match on Thursday night against Breitha Blick in the first leg and indicated all three of his uh, substitutions at halftime were made for tactical reasons, but the, the story appeared to be yesterday that Ferguson was carrying a bit of a knock. So, but yeah, let's um, let's wait and see what happens with, with that over the next couple of weeks. I guess in terms of the game itself, I mean, first half, I mean, Graham, you were you were in West Lothian yesterday. It was pretty torrid stuff, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, you you come to me for the tactical analysis. Uh, gross is how I'm going to describe the first half, <laughs> um, and I don't really know if there's much more I can add over and above what people have already been saying to each other. Uh, Yeah, really disappointing, um, frustrating. But as soon as the team line was announced, uh, general consensus in the ground, certainly what I was sitting was, oh, it's too many changes, what's he doing? Uh, And and I can kind of see that. I always feel like rotation's a bit of a a two-sided coin. You know, it's, why is he playing the same team every week? That guy looks really, really tired, he's off form. Right, so you change it up. Oh, why have you got these guys in? You know, they shouldn't be playing there. I just kind of wondered, actually, after a few years of, you know, McInnes generally seemed to be risk-averse and that you, know, you pretty much knew what the eleven was going to be 
if they were available. We're just wondering if, as a fan base, we've become a little bit risk-averse because we're not used to seeing these types of changes, generally speaking, for a league game. I think it was for the right reasons. You know, Ultimately, it was proved to be correct, um, but it didn't necessarily lead to the most enjoyable uh, 90 minutes of football. If we lose that game as a result of playing the same 11 that played Niceland and the team tires dramatically, we're going to get hammered. If we lose the game on Sunday through making the changes we do, it's going to be said that, you know, it's too many changes, it's too many um, changes to the team that's going to unsettle it. You know, we've got a squad of players, Stephen Glass, everyone's got his chance to come in and make a case to get into the team. Sunday is the chance for the guys like Declan Gallagher and Jenks and McGee to come in and just cement their place and say, I'm here and I should be in the first 11. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's a funny one, I guess, for the manager, isn't it? I mean, there's got to be an element of some tiredness creeping into some of the bodies in the first team. Um, you, you, you don't want to see that so quickly into the season, but given the lack of pre-season itself that we had, getting minutes into the legs is really important and doing the Thursday-Sunday schedule as, you know, you look at down south in the English Premier League, teams down south with the squads and the resources they have struggle with the Thursday-Sunday thing if they're in the Europa League or the, or the Conference League. It's no surprise to me that there was a le- an element of um, rotation going on, maybe a bit too much, some might add, but at the end of the day, the manager's probably just about got out of jail there. We've, we've got the win. He's probably had to bring some players on that he didn't maybe, he, he hoped he wouldn't have to rely on, I guess, during the game. You know, Brown, Ramsey, Ramirez all had to come on the pitch. But at the end of the day, we maintain that 100% record going in. I mean, the first half, though, just to go back on it again, terrible stuff. I mean, we could be 3-0 down at halftime, and I don't think that's a, uh, an exaggeration to say that. Pittman has a great chance in the opening three minutes. Uh, Longridge bursts through and uh, pulls out a good save from, from Joe Lewis, who then takes the time to have a massive Berkey at Niall McGinn um, and Ryan Hedges, I think, and then follows up by uh, a bit of a howler from the corner itself coming back in. Yeah, that's pretty much how I would sum up. If you're going to go out... Uh, you know, do the captain's piece and shout your teammates. That's absolutely fine, but get your own house in order. I may be a little harsh. Look at it again. It looks like the defence did try and maybe move up to get Anderson offside, but not everyone did. So obviously, if you don't go as a unit, he's still there. But at, at the time, and having watched the back, I'm still of the opinion that that was, that was Lewis's fault. Um, I'm not really sure what he was playing because he's not generally prone to rash decisions. More often than not, it's fair to say when he comes for a ball, he gets the ball. The one mitigating factor I think I'm going to put in here for Joe Lewis is I was in the same boat having watched it um, yesterday. But today, um, somebody did on Twitter point out uh, and took a still of the moment in which the ball's headed back in towards the goal. And there's a guy that's that's not Bruce Anderson. Bruce Anderson is in line with, I think it's Jack McKenzie actually has, has pushed up too late. There is a guy, and it might be the number three, I think, who is standing right in front of Joe Lewis as the ball gets headed back in. Now, how he cannot be held to be in an offside position at that point, I've got no idea. He's clearly interfering with Lewis's ability to, to to come out. He does move away from Lewis as the ball gets to Anderson. I still think that Lewis should clear Anderson out. Um, ball man the lot. I mean, Anderson is not a, a tall player, as we know. Joe Lewis says he's got the benefit of being able to use his hands. It's a, it's a poor, poor goal to lose. I thought as well, first half, big question marks around the performance of Niall McGinn. I just think um, this, this season might be a season too much for him. I mean, and that being said, I'm sure he'll uh, he'll shut me up with you know the occasional great bit of play, whether it's a couple of great goals or great assists. He's, you don't lose your ability. 
Uh, I just not seen anything so far from him that suggests he's going to be anything other than a bit part player and possibly a frustrating bit part player. And again, I think I tweeted out at the time, I thought Jenks didn't really, first half, it was like he wasn't entirely sure where he was meant to be playing. It looked like he wasn't too sure when he should be coming forward. I thought that maybe we were a little bit too slow in the centre of the park. Um, obviously, Hayes goes off injured. I, I, it wasn't one of Johnny's finer games again, unfortunately, um, which which forces the hand and the manager to take Brown on just before halftime. I think Brown was probably coming on at halftime anyway, based on how the game was going. But then moving into the second half, we get right back into the game, bit of impetus back in it, back in the team again, and, and Jenks with a fine hit to to, to get the equaliser. And I thought for the majority of the second half, we were kind of in control of the game without necessarily ever looking like we were going to score again. Yeah, I don't think we had a real cutting edge up front. Um, Jet had a part to play in our lack of cutting edge. Could we maybe sort of go back to him or come back to him in a wee while. So yeah, yeah, we were we were much better. Um, Jack Gar, who you know in the first half looked a bit suspect. Livingston seemed to have singled him out. Generally, their attacks came down that side. The second half, um, it was much improved. I mean, he was quite often he was the outlet, uh, put in a hell of a shift actually. To be fair to him, um, you know that much better second half from him. The goal obviously gives you that that confidence, and it was an excellent strike. Yeah, we were, you were right. We didn't really look. Uh, I think they they did have a couple of chances. Hedges here cleared were off the line, um, so they did create chances. But overall, uh, when I was watching, I was kind of thinking, yeah, we're probably just going to get a point out of this. This just feels like it's the way it's going. Um, and obviously, Jack McKenzie decided, no, nope, that's not good enough for me. Or rather, the keeper decided, <laughs> no, nope, that's not good enough for my coupon, depending <laughs> on your point of view. Yeah, I mean, how many people in the stadium and probably watching at home were shouting, don't shoot, when Jack McKenzie shifts onto his weaker foot and has a pot. But thank God for um, the, the Vasilis Barkas impersonator currently in the sticks at... Um, it, I was going to say, I was going to call it Amundville for a minute there, and that's a bit retro. Um, I mean, it's a shocker. It's it's terrible goalkeeping, but hey, who cares from our perspective? And, and what a release of emotion from the Aberdeen support. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, just for the avoidance of doubt, uh, with my hamstrings in the condition they are in these days, I was unable to get out my seat in time, so I let the younger guys do that. Um, <laughs> so it was odd to get that at the end of a, you know, a league game, but having said that, with everything that's gone on, but last, well, kind of lose track now, 15 months or so, and I guess how it happened, you know, young lad come through the, the the ranks of the youth team, getting into the first team, scoring his first goal. It's not it's not a normal circumstance that you can judge people's behaviour by. No, there's been an awful lot of bedwetting about it um, in the last kind of 24 hours, I think, and I think it needs to be put into context. It's a last-minute winner in a game that, we probably didn't really look like we we're going to get anything out of. You're right. First away day in 15, 16 months. What do people expect? Especially when you've been paying off the steward as well, Graham, to just open that gate up for everybody to to make their way on the pitch. So overall, again, similar question to last week, but another two games in the in the tank. What did we think we learned out of out of the two of them? Whatever whatever Jet's been conserving his energy for, I cannot wait to see it when he releases it. Because uh, it wasn't it wasn't on Sunday. McGee um, <laughs> got another ninety minutes, um, which I think is really good. That's him, you know, just finding his way back in at the squad. The first eleven looks like it can generate some quite exciting matches. Kind of shows that we're maybe a little bit light on quality. You know, 
couple of guys get rotated out um, and we don't really function as a unit that well. I haven't said that, that's probably, it probably sums up most teams when you have to bring in a couple of guys off the bench and obviously with the resources we've got, it's not like you can uh, do a Man City and play a second 11 that's as good as anyone else's 11. So, you know, at the end of the day, we won, uh, which was important. What I will say is I did not object to the manager making changes. The league campaign is in its infancy. Yes, obviously, dropping points to Livingston away might come back and bite you later on. But with uh, the Europa League uh, or the Europa Conference tie coming up, I was very much of the opinion that our eggs should be in that basket currently. So had we not been able to get the three points, I would still have been of that opinion. I think for me, what we've learned is that, yeah, the defence is clearly the weak point of the team right now. We'll need to make changes to be more solid, be more difficult to score goals against. We've scored, we've conceded, sorry, some uh, some pretty bad goals from straight balls down the pitch or poor decisions being made by individual players. I think Glass will see that there's work to be done. Still very early Early days in this uh, in this new time as an Aberdeen fan and for Aberdeen as a football club, I think the uh, the biggest thing for me to take away we've rightfully uh, lauded the efforts of Calvin Ramsey this season so far. But um, I think both the game on Thursday and the game on Sunday have shown on the opposite flank we've got a young guy called Jack McKenzie who is going to be a very big player for Aberdeen. We've talked about this on Twitter and some people made the point that he's physically a bigger player but it looks like he's been there for a very long time we've talked about this before in terms of his reading of the game he's been very very impressive he is someone he's made left back cool his own now we will look forward to what he and Calvin Ramsey do in an Aberdeen shirt and uh, see what the future brings and maybe just chip in with one final thought and this is for you know Cormac if, if you're listening we're all quite you know we, we quite enjoyed how Scott Brown was unbookable in his Celtic days, hopefully that continues. It was incredible what Jason Holt managed to do without getting booked. So if we were to sign him and we had an unbookable midfield, I think logically that equals the quadruple. So I'm just saying, you know, if you're listening, get the checkbook out, give Martin Dale a call, I'm sure we can cut a deal. The ABZ football podcast does not endorse the signing of Jason Holt. No. If he's unbookable, he was unbookable, unbookable. You want an unbookable midfield? I'd like a midfield that can play fucking football. You don't have to if you're unbookable. That's one of the most bizarre shouts I'm going to hear all season. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I should add, purely for his unbookability, if that's even good use of the English language, I'm not condoning his playing style or even suggesting he has a modicum of ability. I'm just saying he can boot people in there and not get booked. That might be useful. I'm just watching our listenership figures just dive off a cliff off the back of this now. That's why we have an editor. I think, again, you know, the... An odd couple of games. I, I, I think it can't just be me. A number of us said at the start of the season, and I'm sure we can go back to episode one, um, which feels like it, it was about a year ago, but it's only a few weeks ago now. And we all said, I think we felt we looked light at centre back and, and we weren't sure how that was going to work out for us. I still think, I think if nothing else, the last two games especially again have shown that there is a real lack of um, depth in that area at the quality that we need. And I hope that that gets addressed sooner rather than later. And I think as well, we all spoke again at the start of the season and again, it's been showing up, lack of depth up top. Jet, and I said it on episode two, is going to divide opinion all season. He's a maverick and he's going to do things with his ball, his feet that are sensational. But if there's no end product from it, 
that's going to be very quickly, you know, forgotten about and dispensed with. He's not a hard worker, and I think we can see that. And I think in certain games, teams sitting in against you, when he's playing as a number 10 or something, I think that will be okay because he might have that little bit of something about him that can create a space or can pick a pass or do something mad. But in a game like Borussia Blick on Thursday night, we've got a team pressing you, it's not going to work because you need to be pressing them as well in some of those positions, especially where Braithwaite are quite suicidal to an extent with the ball in their own half. And then Sunday showed what we suspect as well. He's not a number nine. Uh, came far too deep, far off, uh, too often. We look toothless, as I'm afraid to say. And so we definitely need to think about at least one, and I would suggest probably two strikers. The real positive for me that came out of the two games, aside from the fact that we won, was actually looking at a manager and having a manager who was not scared at halftime against Braithwaite to make three changes, change the formation, change the setup. Saw it wasn't working, but did something to affect the game. <laughs> I don't want to keep harking back to the previous incumbent, but that was not something that it's fair to say that Derek McInnes was particularly renowned for. What I saw from Stephen Glass there was almost something out of the kind of Bill Belichick mode in the NFL. This idea about making in-game adjustments to change the game uh, in your favour. And we saw that against Braithwaite. Braithwaite at halftime went in there well on top and we were we were looking a bit ropey at that point. Similar to the game yesterday, made the changes when they felt they had to be made. We get a little bit lucky. I don't think the, the impact wasn't quite as stark, I don't think, yesterday as it was on Thursday night. And yeah, people will look at it and say, that's too many changes, etc. At the end of the day, we've kind of got out of jail with it. We got three points on the board. And I agree with you, Graham. I don't know what Gavin, what you're feeling about this is, but I think, I wonder if when the draw came out for the next round, there was a bit of a look at it and went, shit, that's about as favourable a playoff round draw as we could get if we get through against Braithwaite. And I wonder if that's changed a little bit of mindset potentially where we've gone, actually, we really need to try and make a go of, of making the, the group stages here. Without having the numbers in front of me, I did see these, and it's it's substantial figures uh, in terms of prize money. Uh, the further you go into the Europa Conference League, I'm sure that's playing a part in the manager's decision to rotate and almost seemingly prioritise Europa Conference League at this point. And um, I think it'll be interesting to see what we do on Thursday in terms of the defence. I suspect Declan Gallagher will come in. Whether Glass sticks with the three or goes to a back four will probably tell something in terms of what we need. If we go to a back three and that becomes the standard for the season, then yeah, we're one injury away from being in a really difficult situation. As far as I'm aware, Michael Devlin is still not training with us. People tell me that he signed a contract, but I've heard nothing from the club. Regardless, I don't think he's up to it. So I think we do need to look to recruit in that area. And um, as you say, Jet has not proven uh, himself capable of playing number nine. If we lose Ramirez, then again, we're in a really difficult situation. I saw someone today suggesting that Callum Hendry was an unused sub at the weekend. It's probably the best of a bad bunch in January, but I don't think Callum Hendry is up to it. So that is, again, another area I think we need to uh, think about recruiting. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, I mean, that's us getting to play a bit of fantasy football. Um, <clears throat> talking of which, ABZFP League this week. It's all change at the top of the table. Um, Ramirez's Rams from last week have had a shocker of a week. I miss Kabamba up in top spot, 163 points. I saw this team name weeks ago when it first joined the league. And I'm so delighted we get to, to mention it here. In second spot, 
gold, frankincense, and gur. Unbelievable. Amazing stuff. Stephen Brown, 155 points. For that alone, I think we might be doubling that. And the Aber Dream team, Craig Smith, 154 points in third place, but could do some work, I think, with regards to the name. So, of course, earlier in the week, we uh, announced as well that we've got some prizes on the go for the ABZFP League at the end of the season. So first prize this season will be a Fitbit Tweets mystery box. So we're quite excited about that one there. Second prize, some vouchers for Fierce Bar. You'll be able to either use them in the bars of the town or on an online order. And third prize, some gift vouchers for the fine chaps at Doric Skateboards. And the ABZFP wooden spoon will be up for grabs for the person or persons who come in last spot. Now, make sure you go and join the league. You'll find us on the main league landing app or just double check our Twitter feed. You'll have spotted some of the codes to join us there. Don't allow Bumblebee's FC to take that wooden spoon. So as is customary, we've done the look back. So we're going to look ahead now to another packed week of action for the Dons, starting off on Thursday night with the return leg. I guess Braith of Blick, and I guess the, well, not the biggest point of note, but a really important point of note, obviously. This will be the first home game where there's no actual kind of legal restrictions on crowd size, etc. There is obviously a little bit of a reduction in the crowd capacity because of the UEFA taking over certain elements in the main stand, but it's looking like it's going to be a bumper crowd at Pataudry. I think we're all looking forward to to getting in and really experiencing that atmosphere for the first time in a long time. Yeah, and hopefully this is the kind of um, atmosphere the Icelandic players will not be used to. Uh, a packed Pataudry, a raucous atmosphere. Uh, take the game to them, take the tie away from them, and finish off the job and make it into the next stage. Yeah, we've we've all enjoyed decent European nights or nights in general at Pataudry uh, with, a, with a good crowd. So I'm looking forward to the match and I'm looking forward to just getting back with my fellow fans with, yeah, more of an opportunity just to sort of mingle, shoot the breeze and hopefully get a decent number in there. Uh, and let's just play our part as best we can to get us into the next round. Yeah, I mean, the heckin' game was great the United game obviously the three of us were, were, were back uh, for the first time in my world again atmosphere was good but I've just got a feeling that Thursday night is just going to be a completely different level and I think we're, we're all looking forward to it in terms of the game itself I think it's going to be an interesting interesting match um, I think Gavin you touched on it before we when we were talking about the uh, away leg it's going to be interesting to see what sort of setup uh, Stephen Glass decides to go with my instinct says he'll stick with the um, with the four at the back you know, the kind of almost 4-4-2 kind of shape. Yeah, I think Jet will, st- I think Jet will play again. I think Ramirez will be back up front. More or less probably the same team that played in Iceland last week, with the exception of possibly um, Ferguson, depending on how his fitness is or what is going on behind the scenes. And I think Declan Gallagher will come back into the team. Depends if Johnny Hayes is fit. If not, Edges will slot in. If the players needed any inspiration or motivation, to do so on top of the money, the chance to play in Europe for longer. All they need to do is look at the transcript of the Icelandic uh, Reykjavik manager's uh, post-match interview, where he uh, was fairly damning of Aberdeen, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, I mean, uh, the quote, and I got Hjovar, um, our Icelandic pal, to, to verify this for us. So the quote from the Reykjavik manager was, I didn't expect them to be so bad. I thought they would try to play football. They made no attempt to do so, which surprised me. We're going to Aberdeen, getting a two-goal win and eliminating these guys. Stephen Glass has 
team talk is almost pin that up on the wall and off you go. I think we can appreciate managers being bullish and, you know, trying to talk in a way that G's their players. But between this guy and Tam Courts, we need to start getting some drug testing done throughout Europe because these I don't know what game these guys are watching. Breitelbeek, I thought, played well in stages, but their two goals both came from long balls. So I don't know what he's thinking in terms of them playing a certain style and us playing a more agricultural style. Yeah, I mean, like you say, the job for Stephen Glass is done. I mean, I think as well, uh, not only were their goals, the, go- the goals, as you quite rightly say, Gav, come from long balls up the pitch. I think Braith of are lucky to, to finish the game with 10 men on the park. And that's actually becoming a bit of a, a theme as well uh, this season with ourselves. I don't know if it's because we're trying to play a bit of football, but, you know, Hecken in the in the first game at Pataudra, I felt left a few boots in and I thought a stronger referee might have issued a few more cards. The referee in the away game at Hecken loses the plot and does actually finally send off a, a Hecken player. I thought against Dungeon United, there was a lot of niggly fouls a stronger referee would have dealt with earlier on. Livingston yesterday, Jesus Christ, I have no idea how they finished the game with 11 men on the park. I mean, Craig Sibold should have been off a couple of minutes before he gets hooked by his manager. He gets hooked by his manager because he knows he's in danger of being sent off. Graham, you spoke about earlier on, Jason Holt's cloak of invisibility um, that maybe Scott Brown left in the central belt when he moved to Aberdeen. Who knows? So I'm interested to see if if, if Breitablik come with a, a similarly physical approach. I kind of disagree with you, Gav, a little bit. I think he might switch to the three at the back that saw the game out in Iceland. I think we might see that uh, that formation come back. It looked like we were quite comfortable with that. But all in all, I, I think most of us will be hoping just for a, a, another fine night of European football at Pataudry, get through the tie and move on, hopefully, to looking forward to a trip to either Baku or Limassol. It's worth mentioning, we're recording this on Monday. Um, Red the Bleak played a league game tonight. They won 3-1 away at Stjarnan, I think they're called. I think we'll have too much for them. I think I think our playing, our team will have too much. And when you combine that with the backing of a full Pataudry, after everything we've all been through the last 15, 16 months, it's just set up to be a great night. But then again, we are Aberdeen, so it could be set up for glorious failure. Indeed. So after we finish up on Thursday night, we move into the second round of the League Cup and we have a tie at Wraith Rovers to look forward to. Yeah, so did a little digging on Wraith Rovers. They finished third in the league, um, losing out to Dundee 3-1 on aggregate um, in the playoffs. Dundee, as we all know, eventually clinched promotion to the SPL. As far as the summer has gone, you know, they were in the League Cup group stages. Two wins uh, over Cowan, Beath and Brighton City. Two teams I'm sure they'd expect to defeat. And then it's been two nil-nil draws with Alloa Athletic and Livingston, uh, winning on penalties against Alloa and then losing against Livingston. In the league, they have had one draw against Hamilton Ackies. I'm sure we all saw it on week one. They were 4-0 up. And then before you know it, Hamilton Ackies had got four goals back. So you can tell that they're a team that can be got at. Maybe a question over their character, a question of their quality at the end of the day, they do have a certain Christoph Berrett centre back, so slower than a week in jail, isn't he? So, um, and then at the weekend, a 1 0 defeat to interest Tally Thistle. Um, as far as ties go at the stage, Aberdeen, I believe, probably want a home draw, but I think you would look at Wraith Rovers, look at their personnel, 
the kind of noble players. There's Jamie McDonald in goal that we know from Hearts and Kilmarnock. As I've said, Christoph Barrow is now there playing centre-back. Uh, James Keatings, who's kind of bounced around a lot of clubs, is up front. It's a game, it's Kirkcaldy, it starts Park. It's, I'm sure they'll look at us and say that we're a team that can be gotten at. But as far as, you know, second round games, I think we're pretty happy. Go into this game with a lot of confidence and make our way through the, through the League Cup. Stephen Glass made reference to it in his initial interviews, successful managers at Aberdeen put trophies in the trophy cabinet. And I'm sure they're looking at this as something to target. We've been deprived of trophies as Aberdeen sports for so long. I think that Stephen Glass and his coaching staff will have to make sure the players are aware of how important this game will be and how important that tournament is for, for the sports. Yeah, that all sounds fair enough. Pretty much agree with that. You would prefer a home tie. Um, didn't get that. But then, you know, if you're not getting a home tie, you, you'd probably want to face a lower division. It doesn't always work that way. And actually, you know, if they were sort of towards the top of the championship last season, um, then that obviously reduces the gulf theoretically between the two. But, uh, you know, as we're as we've, we've got them, I'd be disappointed if Aberdeen can't get through that, to be honest. The only piece, I guess, we might have a level of concern about is going to be what sort of lineup we decide to put out on Sunday if all goes well on Thursday night you've got one massive eye then on what will be the playoff round first leg which I'm pretty certain will be away from home um, for a stop so it'll either be a trip to Cyprus or to Azerbaijan so there's bound to be one eye on that Um, I think we saw yesterday that there might not quite be that level of quality within the second string guys to step in and, and do a job but it's critically important Gav you're right that we progress in the League Cup as well and and we make a fist of of trying to win the thing. And this is where it's going to become a bit of a challenge, I think, for the manager now with a reasonably light squad. He's got a number of different plates he's having to spin. I wonder if we are successful in um, beating Breidelbeck on Thursday. That'll maybe allow for Stephen Glass to then go out and recruit a couple more players, like you say, to boost that squad. You would imagine so. In recent years, we've... We've, we've spoken before in recent years, we've been so unlucky with um, the draws in Europe when we get to this sort of stage to, to, to potentially have the opportunity now to make the playoff round and have a chance in that tie. Um, and, and Gav, you're right earlier on, I think the money for making group stages is about two and a half million euros guaranteed, I think, for making the groups. Some decent cash in there for wins and draws, et cetera, or for finishing first and second in the group. There's a real opportunity there for the club to, for it to be a game changer for the club. Europe's obviously going to be really important, but at the same time, if we're all realistic, as much as we currently sit joint top of the league, it's probably unlikely we end up winning the league this season. Let's just be brutally honest about it. But the Cups offer us a huge opportunity to do so, and it would be really remiss of us not to to try and do as much as we can in them. Yeah, it's it's just all kind of coming at the wrong time, isn't it? Um, we're, maybe, yeah, we're, we're a little light. Um, results have been really good so far, but... You know, if we'd got the usual um, Europa Cup draw, we're maybe looking at it thinking, we're never getting through that household name. So the League Cup becomes the more important one where possibly the other way around. Although I, I'm absolutely with you and probably most people listening to this, if we go out, that that's a real disappointment. And straight away at the start of the season, one of your better opportunities to win something uh, has slipped through the grasp. So that would be really disappointing. 
probably worth mentioning as well that obviously Wraith have played four cup games on top of their two league games. So at the end of the day, they've probably played the same number of competitive games as ourselves. And they too will not have the kind of squad that can sustain that. I'm sure their priority is where the league is. So it could be an opportunity for them to rest, rotate, see what happens. Yeah, I guess the difference for them is they played Saturday. They've got eight days now until they play us. You know, we're going Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday again. But hey, let's see what happens. And as yet, I think when we're recording, I haven't seen any notification yet about uh, away tickets and you know, sales or anything like that. But presumably now, because we are we are in a different place, there will be away tickets available for the trip to Starks Park. And for those of us who have been to Kirkcaldy before, it's a cracking away end, um, pretty easy to get to, etc. So I'm sure that'll be another buoyant Aberdeen atmosphere there on, on, on Sunday. Going on to look at some other news then out of, out of Pataudry since uh, since we last were on last week. I mean, the women's team, they got their 2021-22 campaign off to a, a winning start, a 2-1 victory over Buttermere Thistle in Group A of the SWPL Cup. Goals from Eva Thompson and a penalty from uh, Fran Ogilvie enough to see them pick up the three points there. They've got some tough fixtures uh, in Group A of the, of the Cup against Motherwell, who've recruited quite heavily, I think, this summer. And Rangers to come, so I think it was important for the Dons to get themselves off to off to a good start. The under 18s they got off to a fine start as well in the Club Academy Scotland League. Yeah, Barry Robson's young team picking up a decent three-two victory against Celtic at Cormac Park. Goals from Finlay Murray and a double for Liam Harvey securing the win there. And I guess the other bigger pieces of news to come out this week: Connor Barron departing on loan to Kelty Hearts. Obviously, he spent a significant period of time on loan at Brechin last season, although that was curtailed a bit with injury. Uh, but he impressed, apparently. Um, the Kelty Ultras, if you believe it or not, uh, were raving about his performance as uh, Kelty got a 3-1 victory against Sterling Albion to maintain their 100% start to life in League 2. And then Miko Vertinen um, leaving the club as well this week on a permanent deal with Hamilton Ackes in the Championship. So obviously Miko made a, a couple of substitute appearances for the first team in the back end of the 2021 season, uh, he's also spent the majority of the last couple of seasons on loan at Arbroath. And I think was a player that a lot of people were kind of hoping that they might see break in the first team this season. I think he's simply a victim of his position. Um, it's the place we're overloaded. And realistically, what chances is he going to get? Like I say, he's at an age, I think he needs to be out playing football. Like say he's gone out to Hamilton Ackes, he's been on loan to Arbroath and excelled by all accounts, from what you hear. I will not be surprised if um, we see him one day down the road. Yeah, I'm always a little bit disappointed where, you know, a guy we've had in the books, you know, as, as youngster and in the youth team, doesn't make it because you kind of hope that everyone on the youth team is going to be good enough to make the cut. It's probably better for him that we, you know, we don't mess him around by loaning him out and extending deals. He's never going to play. If he's not going to play, let him go and find his feet. And you're right, might come back. Um, in a few couple of seasons, he might just need that break at the right time to, to push on. He, he's not going to get into the team that we have currently. So from that point of view, I don't feel like we're uh, we're dropping the ball. Hopefully, hopefully in years to come, people aren't replaying this back to me when he's some sort of superstar. But uh, it's disappointing to see him go as it is any youngster, but feels like it's the right thing. Yeah, no, agreed. All the best to Miko and his uh, time at Hamilton Aggies. So we're going to take a short break just now. Join us after the break for our exclusive interview with Theo Tincat. And to play us out for the first half, here's Depeche Chode with their track, Cougar. Check out the Chode at depeche-chode.bandcamp.com or follow them on Twitter at 
the past children. is brought to you in association with Eastside Photography, your family, pet and wedding photographer of choice. Covering the whole of the northeast of Scotland, the team at Eastside Photography have one aim, to help you capture those moments for you and future generations to treasure forever. With a focus on shooting in natural and candid environments, Eastside Photography create a fun and relaxed atmosphere that all the family, including your four-legged friends, can relish. 
The team at Eastside Photography hand edit each photograph before delivering a finalised package to suit your budget and needs. Check out Eastside Photography at www.eastsidephotography.co.uk or follow them on Facebook and Instagram at Eastside Photography Scotland to check out examples of their work or to book your next photo shoot. So joining us this week in the latest of our series of interviews with past, present, future, Dawn's stars, it's a man who joined Aberdeen from FC Groningen in the summer of 1991, and he made 54 appearances for the Dawn's notching five goals. I caught up with the Mercurial Dutchman, Theo Tenkat. So good evening and welcome to the ABZ Football Podcast to Theo Tenkat. Theo, how are you doing? I'm all right. Thank you. We really appreciate you taking some time out to join us, uh, Theo. And um, as we kind of discussed before, we, we're going to have a little bit of a, a a trip through a trip down memory lane, shall we say, through your yeah. your footballing career. We'll really try to focus in on obviously your time with Aberdeen, but to get a well rounded view of your career, we'll, we'll have a bit of a, a dive into everything else as well. So obviously, you were born in um, in Hollandsfeld in the north in the Netherlands uh, in on the eighth of December. That's that lines up quite nicely with my other host Gavin Baxter. That's his birthday as well, the eighth of December. And um, you started off your career obviously with uh, in the youth setups of SV Hodo and Hoogveen. Yes, they're true. They're they're amateur sides. Yeah, amateur football. And then from there, you made the move on to FC Twenty in in Enschede. Yeah. So, I mean, just with your age, the famous Ajax team of the 1970s, the Dutch national side of the same time, the total football philosophy of uh, Rhinus Michels would have been in full swing at, at that point. What are, your, what are your memories of your youth development and your youth training at, at that time? Well, the youth training wasn't much of a, of a standard anyway. I mean... Uh... Well, you had uh, amateur teams and uh, and the professional teams, and was and wasn't really a, a set up uh, as it is just now. Uh, so we we just had uh, our parents training ourselves twice a week, and then we train and then we play the game on the Saturday. That, that was it. So, but basically, I mean, uh, uh, that was organized, but. I mean, you know how kids are. I guess if if you see a ball, you you're gonna play uh, football. Yeah, and so I guess when you made the move to FC Twenty, obviously into the professional ranks, was was the or or were the the total football philosophies then starting to be to be taught, so to speak? Yeah, well, uh, it all started with with well, Feyenoord won against Celtic. Yeah, uh, there was actually the first big trophy a Dutch uh, football team won uh, and then Rinus Michels he, uh, he took over in in, uh, in Amsterdam with Ajax well then it started the philosophy of, of the Dutch football uh, a lot of pressure pressing football to, and they called it total football pressure on the the whole pitch and basically on a, on a 4-3-3 system uh, and uh, Ajax won in the early 17s, three times the European uh, Cup. 
uh, from there on, uh, Rinus Michels and Johan Cruyff and, and all those other famous Dutch football players, uh, they went uh, they went abroad. Uh, Cruyff went to Barcelona. Uh, Michels went to Barcelona. Johan Eskens went to Barcelona. Uh, so in, in uh, 1974, uh, the Dutch side did really good in Germany. They should have won the, the World Cup. Uh, because they were the best team uh, in that tournament, uh, but unfortunately they they lost against uh, Germany. But uh, the final was a really uh, a big thing when I was uh, ten years of age. Yeah, that that must have been a great time uh, to be that sort of age and have that sort of football being played in front of you. It must have just been incredible. Yeah, I mean when you're well, when you're six, seven, eight, uh, you, you just do your own thing, and and of of, of course you you've got your favourites. My favourite was FC Twente, uh, but I mean uh, when the national team uh, played the final in in Germany, uh, for me as a ten year old boy was was really a big a big game, and and from that moment on I, I was really interested in in. in trying to get a professional football career. Of course, then, obviously, we, we touched on, you You joined FC20, your, your boyhood your, yeah. your boyhood club, the, the club you supported, and you made the breakthrough to the first team at FC20, um, where you then eventually made 80 appearances for the, for the first team, and, and you grabbed 10 goals in that period, where I guess FC20 were, I guess, consolidating their position back in the era of the because they'd been promoted back again, I think, in 1984. Yeah, yeah, correct. So I guess as well during during your spell with um, FC Twenty, you must have come across a young Theo Snelders, I would have imagined. Yeah, Theo was uh, yeah, well, Theo is one year older as I I am. Uh, I think he, he he already played two or three seasons in the first team. He was really young. I think he was 17 years of age when he. Uh, when he came into the, the first team. I mean, uh, me coming in 1984 to Twente and, and Theo just one year uh, older. Uh, well, same age, so you know how it goes with young boys. I mean, we had a, we had, we had a lot of old players and we had a couple of young players. So uh, you just join the young players and you try to learn from, from the older players and 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 of course, I mean, when you play for the amateur team, you you always want want, want to win anyway. But I mean, uh, in the professional teams, it's more, even more important. And I can remember that uh, because I'm I'm uh, I like to talk, I like to make jokes, and I like to uh, make fun. But uh, one of the older players, when we were sitting uh, having lunch, said to me, "Actually, well, Theo, you just be quiet." That's that's I mean in 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 that period I started my career. And nowadays I mean when you're 21, an older player is 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 telling a 21 year old player something. Uh, uh, he has to be strong because uh, they all have a big mouth anyway. But at that time I mean uh, I can remember uh, that uh, he told me that uh, you're allowed to speak on this table. Uh, when you make it into the first team, you're making money for us. So that was a, an eye opener. That uh, that all right. I'm now into the professional game. It's not only fun anymore. It's professional. It's work. Your your own business. 
yeah, you have to to perform every every, every training session to get into the first team. Uh, so that was my first job to do. I mean, uh, work hard on training sessions and uh, and try to get it, uh, to try to get into the first team. So that's that was a that was an eye opener for me. Another eye opener was for me was uh, Jan Sørensen from Denmark. He played for FC Trent as well, a famous football player. He played for Bruges. And uh, I was a young boy sitting in a dressing room. And normally uh, the kid was always there, but at that time the kid wasn't there. So he told me, "Oh Theo, can you get can can you uh, stand up and try to get the the kid so we can train?" And the first thing I said, well, uh, Jan, uh, it's not my turn. And uh, I had a good relationship with uh, Jan Sjöres. And so he came to me and he whispered in my ear, well, Theo, you just now uh, stand up immediately, get everything into the dressing room. And if you uh, hesitate one or two seconds, I'm going to chase you around the training and try to break your leg at that time i think all right if jan surison is telling me to stand up now i'm gonna make sure we can train in 15 minutes so i went out and 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 brought everything in and the boys had a laugh but uh, (laughs) i was shitting myself (laughs) i can imagine i mean it's good to see though that that some things never change do they there's always going to be that hierarchy in in a dressing room senior players right through to the youth I mean, it's, it's in the later stage. I mean, I think it's it changed a bit in, in that matter. We, uh, and, and that's all also because of the, uh, the social media and all those things. I mean, with uh, agents. I mean, when, when, when you're now 17 and you're a good football player in the youth of an uh, academy, I mean, you've got an agent and you think uh, you're a really good player. Uh, but that's that's bullshit. It's it's. I mean, you're you're a good player when you play play in the first team, not for a year, but uh, for more more than a couple of years anyway. So it's it's it's. When I started the game, it was money wise, it was uh, quite a different story, but on the mental uh, effect, it was it was really re- really different as it is just now when the old boys say well Theo you have to, to to go left you you go left you if they said well Theo you you do this you do that you just follow the rules of the old players and in that matter it 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 it, it uh, created the personality uh, as well I mean it's uh, it's not only that the, the old players are, are uh, chasing you but if if you do your job and you be a bit humble and you work hard on the pitch, at the end, they're going to help you anyway. Yeah, I think you're right. It's funny. I think that's part of the reason that Scottish football, for example, especially with the teams like Aberdeen these days, where there's not that same money, you know, there's not that same social media presence. There's not that same kind of hype that goes around that you see with young players in like the English Premier League, for example. I think that's why that still appeals to a lot of people like myself, for example, because you see young players coming through the setup and they're, they do still seem to be very humble. They're not earning £70,000 a week before they've even made a first team appearance. And I think that that really helps maintain that bond between players and the support, I think. Right. Yes. I mean, I, I, I was playing soccer for, for a dime 
and it was really happy with it. Uh, money wasn't uh, the big reason uh, I was playing for FC Twente. Uh, I just wanted to perform on the on the pitch and do my best and trying to win games for myself in the first place, but also for the for the team in the second place because then we get our bonuses and then uh, everybody was happy. So I guess after a little while with in the first team with FC Twenty, then you made the move to to Vindam for a season and helped them to promotion back to the Eredivisie for only the second time in, in their history. Um, and after a season there, it, that attracted obviously the attention then of FC Groningen, who, who came and acquired your services and you made the move north there in, in 1988. And I guess at that time, Groningen would have been a, a team on the rise, so to speak. They were competing well in European competition. They were doing well in the domestic scene. I think at that point in the late 80s, their average attendances were just behind the traditional big three uh, of, of Feyenoord, PSV and, and Ajax. Having dropped down a league to go to Vindam, the move back to Groningen must have been a real boost to your confidence again to be back playing in the top flight and also to be playing European football. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, when my contract was uh, finished with FC Twente, uh, I had some problems with, uh, with the managers. Uh, so I decided... Uh, to go, to take 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 my own path, and then Feyenoord came, and uh, I was well. I was the captain. I was only 22 or so, and I was the captain of the team. Uh, I was a really important player at that time. I scored scored a lot of goals, and and uh, we uh, we finished second, and uh, we got the promotion to the to the Eredivisie again. And then FC Groningen uh, was interested in me. And uh, so I joined them, and in 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 my first year they also qualified for uh, European football, so there was a, a big bonus. Uh, so I, I had uh, really I had three really good years with uh, with FC Groningen. We played uh, European uh, football. Uh, we managed to play uh, the Dutch Cup final, which we lost against PSV. Uh, we almost won, we almost won. We should have won the the, the league in in I think it was my last year or so. But at the end we finished third. Uh, and at that time, I mean, you had you had three big teams. You had Ajax, PSV, and Feyenoord. And uh, nowadays uh, uh, the younger players they just leave as soon as possible. Uh, but uh, in the late eighties. Uh, international top players uh, were playing in in Holland. I mean, Romario played for PSV, Ajax. They had a really good squad with with Kuman, the and 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 some other foreigners. Uh, uh, Feyenoord had a really good squad with a lot of, of of international top players who played in the national teams. So the league was really really strong. And uh, competing with FC Groningen at that time against those teams was was really hard. But uh, at some point, uh, we just uh, we just well were as good as as uh, Ajax, PSV, and Feyenoord. But uh, well, uh, the three big teams they had more money. So the when we had an injury or a suspension, I mean we had 11 or 12 good players. If one dropped, I mean, another came in, but then you saw the 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 uh, the, the quality of the of the game of our uh, games we played was uh, dropping, and 
so that's that's probably the reason uh, we couldn't hold on uh, until the last three or four games of the league, uh, and uh, we finished uh, third at that time. But uh, if nothing would happen, and if ever if everybody would have stayed fit and and no, no suspension, there was a possibility of FC Groningen winning the league at that time. I mean, it's it's, it's funny you touched on the. Um... The, the the national cup final in your first season. There's Aberdeen connections all over that um, that tournament that season because um, obviously, as you said, uh, again you, you got to the cup final. So um, PSV, you mentioned Romario. Obviously, I think he's I, I think he scored the opening goal. He's not he the did. Aberdeen. He's not the Aberdeen connection. But, no. Um, Hans Hillhouse came off the bench for PSV. Yeah, correct. Yeah, Hans was there as well. Yeah. Um, and the top scorer for the competition that season. Do you have any idea who it would have been? Uh, in that season? That season, the top scorer in the, in the National Cup that year. Uh, ooh, I mean, I would say Romario, but I mean, uh, seeing your face now, it's probably another guy. <laughs> uh, are you ready for this? It was Willem van der Ark. How many? Oh, he was playing for Willem Twee. Uh, yeah, I think he got six goals in the tournament that, that in the cup competition. So he was the top scorer. So there are Aberdeen connections all over... Did he went to Aberdeen after that season then, or was it later? I I think he would have been eighty nine. He must have been. He must have came after that season. Yeah. Yeah. So um, obviously, yeah. As as you touched on your last season with Groningen, uh, you, you ran Ajax and PSV close to, to winning the league, and I think at the at the end of that season, the Groningen team, the squad began to break up a little bit. I think there were some issues with. Um, finances i think that the chairman had yeah. had been found guilty about some embezzlement or something yeah and so as a result players were starting to be sold in order to i guess to, to fund the club going forward and alex smith obviously started scouring the, the dutch market again having had a lot of success in it um in the previous couple of seasons and he'd obviously acquired um theo schnelders paul mason a former groningen player as well hans hielhaus Willem van der ark and peter van de ven had all already made the move to Aberdeen. And then in July 1991, so we've just passed the 30-year anniversary of this, actually, you you, you crossed the North Sea to, to join Aberdeen. Aye. Having racked up by that point in your career a, a really good number of appearances in the Eredivisie, you had a reputation for being a technically gifted player. Did you have... A number of different offers available to you um, at that point, and and if so, what made you choose to to come to Aberdeen? Yeah, well, uh, in that period, we had two really good strikers. We had uh, uh, Annie Meyer, and we had uh, Mirko Dioroski, and uh, they wanted to keep the both players, but they needed the money, uh, so they had to sell a couple of guys. And uh, because I was doing really good at that season. They put me on the market. You know how it goes. I mean, a, a, a team is just it goes through an agent. So they called my agent. I didn't know about those kind of things. I mean, I just played football, and and and, and, and the agent who helps me with the signing on and those kind of things. And he came up with uh, uh, a couple of Scottish teams. Uh, I think it done the United or St Mirren and and. and uh, which I can remember, but I mean, then he came up with Aberdeen, uh, and then we decided to have a look in in, in Aberdeen, 
and sounded good. Uh, we had a talk with uh, with Alex Smith and, and the board, and so we decided to uh, to take the move and uh, and uh, go to to Aberdeen. Did you need much persuasion at that time in your career to make a move to Scotland, having played in Holland the entire career, or? You have to just make a decision. I mean, I could have stayed with Groningen, but what else? I mean, they wanted, they needed the money. They wanted the money. Uh, it showed that they, that I was the only player who, who could could uh, bring up uh, the money they needed to, to sign uh, uh, to give the uh, the best players the, uh, the contract they wanted. So I just took my chance and say, okay, I, I, I play now seven years in, in Holland. Uh, I'm 26 and that's uh, a really good age to, uh, to go over to, uh, to another place, to another country and, uh, and, uh, and see what's, uh, what football is uh, over there and, and, and life, of course, as well. So it wasn't that it wasn't that difficult. I mean, it's uh, Aberdeen was a good club. Aberdeen won in '83 the uh, the European Cup. So I knew about Aberdeen. Uh, uh, I knew some players. Of course, it was a different team when I joined Aberdeen. But I mean, Alec Alec McLeish was still there. Willie Miller was there. Uh, he was uh, the assistant coach and 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 the coach of the reserves. But uh, so. Uh, I came in, in in a really good team. I mean, uh, uh, Jim Bed, obviously a really good player, played in Belgium, Lokeren. So, I mean, I, I knew some players. I mean, I did my homework. Uh, there was a couple of youngsters anyway I didn't know. But, I mean, actually, uh, Schnellers was there. I spoke to Theo about it. Uh, there were another four Dutch players playing there as well, which I, in the first place, I didn't knew. Uh, but, I mean, it's uh, it helps you a bit. Uh, when you start uh, arriving in a, in a, in a different area, uh, but I mean it's uh, but that that that's only for a couple of weeks anyway, and then you just move on. I mean it's 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 a game, it's football, and if you play football in Holland or you play football in Scotland, it's a, it's a different system, of course. But I mean it's all about training hard and trying to win games. After you signed Aberdeen, quickly flew out to Bermuda, <laughs> of all places for. A- for a pre-season camp and um, it was there you played a couple of friendlies against the Bermudan national team and you made your debut for Aberdeen in the second of those games um, coming on as a substitute in a 4-0 victory. Was that quite a good um, quite a good camp to get away quite quickly with the group of players just to get to know them away from everybody else? Yeah, well, that's, that's what most teams do. Eh? I mean, they train two weeks and then they go pre-season, they, they move on. Uh, to another place for quietness, for for I mean you you sitting in a hotel, uh, and uh, you you stuck with the boys 24 hours a day, know each other a bit better, uh, not only on the football p- pitch but also uh, well during the day doing things together. I mean Bermuda was a good place, so we did a lot of swimming, and the swimming was probably the best of the of the training camp. <laughs> Because the, the training, I mean, in that it was really hot over there. So I mean, it was a it was hard work and a lot of sweat. I can imagine that Drew Jarvie and Teddy Scott had a lot of fun getting you uh, working in that heat. The, the, and, and Jockey Scott as well. Jockey, yeah, Jockey, yeah. Don't talk about Jockey. <laughs> <laughs> he, he gave me he gave me a hard dryer. and I didn't even know what a hard dryer was. But I mean, uh, the, the boys told me later. <laughs> Soon found out. 
what what was the mood in the camp like at that point? Because you you just joined um, Aberdeen, who had gone so close to winning the league the, the season before, lost out on the last day of the season with a, a heartbreaking defeat at, at Ibrox. Was the camp positive, kind of looking forward to the new season, looking to avenge that, or was it a bit, you know, a bit low? What was the mood like? I've, I've had many training camps. So, I mean, it was a normal training camp. I knew that they lost against Rangers in the last game and season be, uh, before that. Uh, so the expectation was, was really high, trying to get one, one place better. So there was a lot of pressure on, 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 on the boys anyway. Uh, maybe too much because uh, it was a different team. Uh, Hans Villos wasn't really happy again. Uh, Willem van der Haag wasn't happy. He wanted to move to Holland. So talking about the training camp, it was just a normal training camp. I mean, nothing special. I mean, you train with the boys two or three times a day. A day. Uh, you do your, your social things. Uh, you, 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 you go out. Uh, you, uh, you do your swimming. Uh, you, you, you do some fun as well. I mean, it's not only football, but it was a, it was a good trip. Uh, going to Bermuda, it was a really nice place, but I mean, you better go for a holiday to Bermuda than to do a training camp for two weeks and, uh, and train uh, three, three times a day and uh, play a couple of games. But I mean, it uh, was, was a really nice experience. So from the sunny climate of Bermuda, um, you then travelled with uh, Aberdeen and you scored your first goal um, in a testimonial match at Elgin, of all places. Yes, um, never been there again. and that was then followed up pretty quickly by um, you making your first appearance for Aberdeen at Pataudry when uh, Sir Alex Ferguson Alex Ferguson as he was at the time took his FA Cup winning Manchester United North for a friendly match that took place in front of a sold out Pataudry and you introduced yourself to the Aberdeen support pretty quickly with a goal as the game ended 1-1 what were your first impressions of Pataudry? Pataudry is beautiful I mean, it's one of the most beautiful stadiums I ever played with. I mean, I played in, in big, I mean, I played in Madrid, I played in, in, in Germany in big, big stadiums. I played in Holland, they've got big stadiums. But the, 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 it's, it's, it's typical, it's still a typical uh, British stadium. Where me and my brother, we were jogging up from, from, from the pitch with, to the, with the stair, on the stairs up. And then you had a really beautiful view. It's 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 a really nice stadium, and and they were talking about it uh, to 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 move away from Petardry. I don't know uh, how the situation is just now, but uh, I would say just stay at Petardry. I mean, it's it's got a history. I mean, it's it's and history is really important for the for and not 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 that much for the players, but I mean, history is really important for the supporters. I mean, uh, when you're a kid. And you're you're 10 or 12 years of age in the in the 60s, and you you're 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 watching games uh, uh, at Petardry for uh, uh, the Aberdeen, uh, and then 40 years later you still you're still there on the same place. You still have your memories about games you saw, good games, bad games. So I think for for a lot of big teams. Uh, moving away from from their well birth ground, I would say, 
it's, it's sometimes uh, a pity. I mean, if you look at Petrodri, it's a football stadium. Uh, if you, you watch, uh, I've, I've, uh, last year I was with my dad in, 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 in London watch, uh, watching a game, uh, the Spurs against City. I mean, uh, it's a beautiful stadium, don't, don't uh, got me wrong, but I mean, it's, it's not that same atmosphere where you, it's more a theatre. Yeah, I think you would, um, I think the vast majority of football fans would agree with you about that, Theo. Yeah. Um, there's still a lot of talk about us moving stadium. We we're, we have planning permission now to move to a new stadium beside the training grounds. The training ground was built uh, and, and opened a couple of years ago. That seems to be maybe not happening now with COVID. There's a lot of talk that we might build a new stadium in the beach area. So somewhere quite close. Talking about stadiums, um, <laughs> your league debut for Aberdeen came at the notorious Bloomfield Park at, at Airdrie. That was nice. Yeah, I was going to ask, was that a bit of a culture shock? No, 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 no. I, I've never seen a stadium like that. I mean, the dressing room was, uh, I think it was, the dressing room was under the the, the, the board. Uh, I can't remember that good anymore, but I mean, it was a small dressing room. Uh, I've been kicked out, out of the game. Uh, that was my first uh, really bad tackle I had to take in Scottish football. I mean, I couldn't. After that game, I, I was injured for for probably I, I couldn't play uh, against Copenhagen in the European Cup game at home at Petrodri. So I missed four or five games because of that kick. But I, I still remember that, and I was talking about Joggy Scott, the head dryer. I went I went into the dressing room with my ankle swollen as big as a football. And, uh, and Jogi came to me and he was screaming to me like hell and that I had to adjust Scottish football. And I said to Jogi, Jogi, uh, it's not my fault. I just had the ball. Uh, he didn't hit the ball. He hit my ankle. And now my ankle is swollen like a ball. And you, you now give me shit. So, I mean, and all the boys started to laugh a bit. And that wasn't really the intention of Jogi. So he even went mad, more mad at me. I mean been kicked out of the game and it's not my fault <laughs> that that's quite a first impression of Scottish football isn't it it is yeah but I mean I like the stadium I didn't like the player who kicked me uh, <laughs> because he uh, he uh, yeah he, he injured me and but I mean in the other case I mean it's it's always nice to to get those kind of things uh, in, your, in your mind as well I mean I will never forget that game You just touched on it Obviously after the Airdrie game You're out with injury for a few weeks After that initial setback You, you then became a regular starter For, for Alex Smith But the, it's fair to say The team had a pretty mixed start To that season So the pressure was really starting to, to build I think And that wasn't helped by An early exit in the League Cup To Airdrie as well A 1-0 home defeat And then that was swiftly followed up by a, a 1-0 home defeat to um, BK1903 Copenhagen, which you just talked about. And after that Copenhagen defeat, that was when um, that was when Jockey Scott departed and that left Alex Smith in, in sole charge. Did Jockey leaving, because you've already touched on it a little bit there, that there was almost a good cop, bad cop kind of approach between True. Jockey and Alex yeah. Smith. With Jockey leaving, did that change the dynamic in the dressing room quite significantly? Did Jockey Scott left? Yeah, Jockey went, he left and he went to Dundee, I think, didn't he? 
I can't remember. I always say, and that's true, the only thing we came into trouble was a couple of things. We had a good team. We played good football in, in, uh, from, from August till December. We played uh, against Rangers. We beat them 2-0. We were, we were really playing really good football. But then Hans Gillows wanted to move. Van der Aarik wanted to move as well. If, if those players want to move, it changes the atmosphere in the team. But the most important thing that year, and that's also the reason we, had a, uh, we played good, we played bad, we weren't consistent at all. And it's all, also the reason that Alex Smith gets sacked after the games against Hibs, I think. Uh, the supporters were mad. There's only one reason, and that's the reason is that McLeish was injured. He had problems with his Achilles. He was out for months. If Alex McLeish was still fit and kept fit and didn't have problems with his Achilles, uh, Alex Smith would never been sacked. We would have played regular good football uh, as in the start of the the, in the, uh, the league. And I'm sure we could have uh, challenged uh, Rangers and Celtic because uh, uh, we played against Celtic as well at Petaudry and, and, and we won against Celtic as well. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the, the the three teams, Rangers, Rangers had a good team, Celtic had a good team, we had a good team, we played good football. You had hearts, was more of a battle all the time. But... Alec McLeish was the most important issue that we had a season that was really uh, disappointed that year. Yeah, because you, you just touched on it. I mean, I think it was from about the 20th of November, I think, until the end of February. The only one, the team only won two games, I think, out of 16. And that also included an early cup exit to Rangers in the Scottish Cup as well. And, and you're right, it was that 1-0 home defeat to Hibs, which saw um, Alex Smith become the first Aberdeen manager to actually ever be sacked. Yeah, I blame myself for that as well. Yeah? Yeah, I had three really good chances. I had uh, three, uh, two, uh, 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 I was in a one against one, one v one against the goalie and didn't score. I should have scored at least two goals in that game. Uh, so I blame myself a bit as well. So when Alex is sacked, I mean, what's your initial reaction? Other than, you know, blaming yourself, what's your initial reaction to that, especially given that it was Alex Smith that had brought you to, to Aberdeen just, you know, a few months beforehand? I had a good, really good relationship with Alex Smith. And he had a good vision about how to play football. I think the combination with Drew Jarvi was good as well. And Drew is a really good coach. Alec uh, Smith is a really good manager. I think that was that's the biggest mistake the board ever made, uh, sacking Alex Smith. Uh, football only get worse. I mean, me and Jim Bed, we had sometimes a laugh. Uh, Willie Miller took over. I think Willie wasn't ready for it. He should have taken more time to, uh, to learn the, the business. Uh, he was a great player. Uh, he was a, a team leader on the pitch, but to be a team leader off the pitch is a different story uh, because then you have to manage 20 players who are all different. That's the, the, the difficult part of being a manager and a coach. We'll come on to maybe your relationship with Willie later on, if that's okay. Yeah, yeah fine. But obviously, like you say, you know, um, Willie Miller comes in, takes over. The season kind of stabilizes a little bit. The, the team finishes, I think, sixth. 
that season, which was at that point Aberdeen's lowest finishing place in the league since 1976. But on a pers- on a personal level for you, you made 32 appearances in your in your first season. You scored five times in that period. I mean, how was your own view about your your first season with Aberdeen? It started really good, but I mean. Uh... Because that the, the 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 way we played football was suitable for me. We had a good midfield with uh, Grandy and uh, Jim Bad, Paul Mason, so and me and myself. Two young strikers up front, Ian Jess and, and Scott Booth. Hans Gilloos was there, uh, not happy, but he he did sometimes. He did he was playing okay, but after uh, Willie took over, uh, the the type of play. Uh, really changed. I mean, uh, the only thing uh, really said, well, I want to have the, the ball in the box and, and fight for it. We couldn't play the combination game. We, we were really playing good in the first half of this season with Grant and Paul Mason. So um, from that point of on, I had my good games, but I had, I had my bad games as well. So I had problems adjusting the way we played yeah, so I wasn't really happy with that. How did you find the city um, to live in when you first moved to Aberdeen? Beautiful. It was first. It was a shock. We we were in the plane. It was raining, 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 uh, and then you see the granite city, all grey. Uh, so I said, okay, Scotland. It, ra- it rains in Scotland. I knew that, <laughs> but that was my first experience with with Aberdeen city. I mean the. It's, I think it's a really beautiful place. We had a, we, we lived in a beautiful area. Uh, I've been a couple of times back to Aberdeen. Uh, so it's still in my heart, the city and the people. I mean, uh, the people of Aberdeen, they're really good, really supportive. Only good words of, of, Aberdeen, of the city of Aberdeen and the people of Aberdeen and the supporters. I think on the whole, I mean, when you, when you talk to a lot of ex-Aberdeen players, on the whole, I think most people have very warm memories of, of the city of the area you've um you've already talked touched upon it just now and in some previous interviews i've read that you've done theo you, you've always talked really highly about drew jarvie yeah just how big an influence was he on you during your time with aberdeen he, he was a really big influence for me i mean when i had problems i always went to drew if uh, if drew saw that i had, was struggling drew came to me and we talked a bit uh, he's a really good good coach. He knows he's a striker, so he wants to to develop things. I mean, you can see it in persons. I mean, that's how I look at persons as well. I mean, if you you uh, the characters of a of of an attacker or the character of a defensive player, it's it's a huge difference because attackers wants to create things and defenders. They want to destroy things. That's my vision. I mean, and that's the job. It's a job. They want. They have to destroy the attack of the opponents. As the attackers wants to create things to score goals, and that's you can see that in characters of of, of persons as well. It was always I could always go to Drew and talk to him about a couple of things, not only about football but about the family and. The, the three years in Aberdeen, if you if you work and live uh, together with those kind of people, you you never forget, you never forget them. 
and you always remember the, some words and lines and advices they give you. Uh, Drew did that to me. I mean, he said he always said to me, just do your job, try to 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 work hard on the pitch, try to play games as you 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 can play games, and if somebody has a different kind of opinion about it, it's not your fault. You've got two persons or three persons. You've got a manager, you've got yourself, and you've got, you do your job. You're an Aberdeen player. You play your style of football. If it's not good enough for the manager, okay, you can't help it. You just, it's you. You have to stay yourself, be yourself. And if if somebody else makes a different uh, uh, choice and, and, and letting you out, you can't you can't help it because I mean you can play a different kind of game but you only get worse so the, those kind of things Drew told me that's some great insight into Drew Jarvie who is who is quite rightly kind of revered as a a legend at Aberdeen for what he did on the playing side of things but also um, lit laterally when he when he joined the coaching setup so <clears throat> obviously then moving on to the the ninety two ninety three season your second season with Aberdeen the club seemed to enter that campaign. I guess with a, a bit of a renewed sense of purpose and confidence, Willie Miller had begun to take in some new players, etc. Um, it, it took yourself until the, the middle of September to, to make a start that season. Had you fallen out of favour with the manager? I knew I was out of favour. I mean, I knew that Willie wasn't really confident with me. I wasn't his type of player, let's put it this way. I mean... Uh, I think he bought uh, Lee Richardson, and, and and Lee can kick around. He's a good player, but he also can kick around and, and and do nasty things on the pitch. I mean, that's the type of player Willie was looking for. Uh, he bought Duncan uh, Chira up front, so you had two. You had you had Mixu was with uh, with Chira. Uh, and Ian and Ian Jess was there as well. The midfield changed. I mean, Paul May. I think Paul left as well. Yeah, Paul went to Ipswich, I think, then didn't he? Uh, Lee Richardson came on. Uh, Jim Jim was a high standard player, so he, he was still playing there. Uh, Grandy was a midfield. Uh, well, I can't remember all the names, but I mean, it it was a combination of. Uh, I was injured at that time. I, I also think that the manager didn't believe in me. Is making the team better. It's almost exemplified then by the fact that you came in for that game against Partick Thistle um, at Pataudra. You played well. I remember the game. The following Wednesday, we play Celtic in, in the League Cup semi, the League Cup semi-final. And I think most people left Pataudra that afternoon thinking, well, Ten Cat's done a great job about putting himself into the mix to, to play in that match on Wednesday night. And then... Yeah, I think I still think it was it was a setup. I mean, I remember that game pretty good. I was I was playing with, together with Jim Vett, a really good game. Uh, I think I was one of the better players of Aberdeen that day. And he took me off after sixty or seventy-five minutes. And Roy Aitken came on. And I think Roy was the assistant, but Roy was a player as well. Uh, Roy played for Celtic. We played the semi-final against Celtic, and I was still. And when I walked off, I had a pretty bad feeling about that. But because you you, you don't take your best player off the pitch. Uh, saying that maybe I wasn't the best player, but I was pretty close. 
Yeah, I, I, I distinctly remember the game and it was the first time, like I say, you'd played all season. And I, I remember how well you played that day. And I, I just remember being really surprised at, um, at the semi-final when you weren't, when you weren't playing. Yeah, me too. And then it all started to went wrong. So uh, what happened in, 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 in Hamden that uh, he put me on the bench and I didn't do, uh, I didn't want to do a warm up before the game. So I stayed in the dressing room. I was pissed off and said, well, if you want to have a fight, really take me on. Uh, and he was angry about me. He, I still remember those kind of things. I mean, as he said, why aren't, aren't you going out still? Well, I'm not playing. Uh, I mean, all the other subs are out. Yes. But I, I decided to stay in. And then he wasn't really happy with me. And then I, had, I still remember that he, uh, when the game started, after a couple of minutes, he said, Theo, warm up. And I warmed up for about 80 minutes. <laughs> I had a long warm up. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, we can laugh about it now, but at that yeah. time, I mean, I was so disappointed. I played good against Partick, and then he put me on the bench, and I was really frustrated coming back from injury. Uh, played a good game, and then I'm not allowed to play Celtic in the semi-final. So that 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 did something to me. I mean, in that in that point, the relationship be, between me and and the manager really, uh, well, it didn't get better. I was going to leave this until a little bit later, but I guess I can ask it just now. I mean, uh, uh, William Miller's, you know, revered, rightly so, yeah, um, at Aberdeen for his uh, for his accomplishments as a player. Yeah, yeah, correctly. I mean, he's one of the best, uh, probably the best player Aberdeen ever had. But it's clearly it's it's fair to say then I think that yourself and Willie clashed quite a bit when it came to the relationship between yourself and and himself. And I think it's quite ironic in a way that you've you've just touched upon it there that you maybe felt that you weren't trusted to play in the style that that Willie wanted, or you just didn't fit the style that Willie wanted to play. And you you touched upon Lee Richardson coming in, and Lee was a was a, a good a good professional for Aberdeen, did a good job. Yeah. But you're right, was a Although he could play a bit and he scored some fantastic goals, there's that goal against Torino. But but Lee was also the guy that could come in and, and put a tackle in as well when he had to. But then ironically, Rico's career at Aberdeen also kind of came to an end a little bit when Willie decided he couldn't really trust Rico to perhaps keep a lid on things sometimes. I think there was a I think I recall he got sent off against Rangers. This might have been after you left, actually. And from that point on. Rico was not really within the was not really within the squad at all. And do you think it is as well? Just what you touched on earlier on, Theo, that maybe you know Willie was maybe just a little bit inexperienced at that time. Yeah, that's my opinion, but it's my, it's only my opinion. I mean, it's it's. I mean, uh, talking about the the the, the game against Partick and, and Celtic, if we, if, I felt disrespect at that point. I still had a year, yeah, almost a year and a half left, and I, I, I did my best to try to get into the team. But it's always difficult if, if there's a bit of a not a really good connection between a player and a, and a, and a manager. It always ends up something. And I can understand the, the manager 
because he makes decisions. The player doesn't listen. I mean, he has to do something. And at that point, I didn't listen to him. So from that point, the manager is right. But uh, from my point of view as a player, uh, I was thinking, well, uh, this is disrespectful for me. Uh, do I have to accept it? Yes, I have to accept it. Uh, because I'm playing not for William Miller, I'm playing for Aberdeen Football Club and for all the supporters. So that's the only re- and that's the only reason I, I didn't leave, leave Aberdeen. I wanted to 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 stay there for the full three years and do my best and try to convince uh, Willie later on that uh, I'm a player to play, that that he has to to play in in the, in the games. And I mean, towards the back end of that ninety two ninety three season, after the the Clyde Bank. Cup games, yeah. you 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 played yourself back into the team, yeah. and you became a a semi regular starter. I think it's fair to say, or and you were certainly in the match day squads and making appearances, either starting or or coming off the bench. And from that point in the quarter final against Clay Bank up until the Scottish Cup final, you were either in the squad, came off the bench, or you started a match. And then the Cup final, you didn't make the squad again. No. Um, so again, having played your way back into contention, how disappointing and how heartbreaking was it for you to not make the squad? What do you think? <laughs> oh my God. I've never been that disappointed in my life. I, I, I mean, I tried everything to convince the manager. Uh, as, you t- as you said before, I mean, I played my games. I was a sub. I came in and, and then... Out of the blue sky, he put me on, on, on the stand and said, well, Theo, you take your rest. And I said, well, maybe it's better for me to take the rest tomorrow and because we've got a game now. <laughs> but I couldn't convince him. So that was really, that was really a disappointed uh, thing. I mean, I've, well, I mean, also from disappointment, you learn. I mean, because obviously that season, you know, Aberdeen finished runners-up in everything to to Rangers um a kind of memorable season in a way for for the support but was it then you know that disappointment that coupled with the obvious kind of clashes you had with the manager was it at that point then you considered it was time to think about making a move away from Aberdeen no 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 when after the second season I wanted to uh, to show everybody at Aberdeen Football Club I'm I'm a uh, I'm a player I'm a good player for Aberdeen Football Club. I wanted to earn another contract. So what I did in the, in, the, in, the, in the holiday, I trained twice a day. I went out twice a day jogging and, 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 and playing football games. I had a really good preseason in my third year at Aberdeen. And, and that's another thing when Drew, Drew comes in again. Uh, we had our training camp in, in, in Holland. So I, I think I was one of the best players in preseason that, that my third year. And uh, I still re- I can remember that we were at the barracks and uh, Drew came to me after the training session and Drew told me, uh, said, well, Theo, you were uh, one of our best players in, in preseason. And I said, Drew, yeah, yeah, Drew, I know, I know. What do you want to say? I mean, I'm expecting to play games now because I'm fit. Sometimes you have some arguments with uh, with, uh, with the management manage, uh, manager, but I mean, sometimes you have to close it down and start again 
on a fresh and new level. And that's the reason I trained. Uh, I didn't took my holiday. I had a, a really good preseason. And uh, after the last training session on a Friday uh, at the barracks, after the training session, and uh, I had a wee word with uh, uh, with uh, Drew. Drew uh, put put his hand over my shoulder. And he said to me, come on, till we just walk away a bit. So I walked away with uh, with uh, Drew from from the from the players and from from everybody, and he told me that Theo, uh, despite everything you did for for the for the for the team, uh, I have to tell you that uh, uh, you're not going to play uh, on Saturday, and I think you uh, you will have a, a difficult year coming up, and then I knew the, that that. That it was really difficult now because I was, what can I do more than playing good games and not being selected? Uh, so I joined the team on Saturday. We played at home, and I was basically every game I was on the on the stand. I was never picked in in the squad. At that time, I didn't give up. I tried to uh, to convince Willie that I still. Uh, was good enough to play for Aberdeen Football Club, uh, but after a while I just said, "Well, okay, uh, playing in the reserves all the time," because I wanted to play games. And I uh, went to uh, went to his office and uh, had a word with Willie and said, "Willie, uh, uh, this is no use for me anymore because uh, you're dropping not only me out of the team. You know, a football player wants to play games, so it's I think it's best now, and and you don't give me bonuses anymore." So that means I'm, I'm I'm doing basically nothing. So it's better for me now to to uh, step down and and try uh, to play and get my games with the reserves. I play my games with uh, with New Cooper, who was the uh, the coach of the reserves, uh, together with uh, Teddy Scott. I mean, I had a good. We always had, had a good laugh with, with with Teddy. Teddy's a good guy. I was a good guy. And uh, so I, most of the games I played uh, with, in, with the reserves. Uh, so that was really the end of uh, my career at uh, Aberdeen Football Club. So after that, obviously, then it was it was time for you to to, to move on, and you moved back to the Netherlands, um, returning to Vitesse Arnhem for uh, for a season, and then you made a, a return back to your your boyhood team FC Twenty, yeah. and then finished off your career with Vindam again. So nice, nicely bookended career with FC Twenty and Vindam at one end, and then I shouldn't I, I shouldn't have gone to Vindam. No, <laughs> no it was a disaster. <laughs> they didn't they didn't understand me. I mean, if you play uh, fifteen years in the highest level, I mean uh, things are really normal for you. I mean, I had really four really good years with FC Twente. Uh, we played European Cup games. Uh, we almost won the league as well. And then you come at a certain age, and that's maybe the biggest mistake I ever made. I talked to the manager at FC Twente at that time, and he made a decision and said to me, Theo, I want to play with the younger team uh, players. Uh, but I, I need you as as an older uh, player who play not 30 games, but say 15, and you're really important in the dressing room and those kind of things. And he had a point there. I would have played in a team anyway. But then my pride came, and I said, well, I want to play games. And then 
FC Twente decided to sell me. No, that, that, no, that was after Bosman. So after contract, I could leave. Anyway, so Feyenoord came, did me, uh, did a good offer. They offered me uh, a really good contract. Uh, so I took the I took the chance for three more years. But, I mean, uh, the level at Feyenoord was so poor. Uh, they didn't understand me on the training pitch. They didn't understand me in the games. And what normal was for me was too difficult for them. So it only made you frustrated. The thing is, you can't blame the players because they they do their best, but they can't play better football as they did at that time. And it had some influence on my uh, football as well because I wasn't pushed anymore. Uh, so I should have stayed with FC Twente. Uh, but I mean, the, the the offer they made was was made me think and say, well, okay, three three more years. I knew the manager, uh, so I took the chance. But it turned out to be uh, to be a really disappointed uh, end of my career. In in 2014, obviously, two of your your former teams in Aberdeen and and FC Groningen. Um, played each other in the qualifying rounds of the Europa League, and, and Aberdeen won that tie two one um, on aggregate after a fine uh, a fine victory in Groningen. And I think for the current crop of or the current generation of Aberdeen fans, that was a very memorable uh, away European trip. Um, I just wanted to understand: Did you feel on that tie? Did, did Groningen perhaps underestimate Aberdeen? Do you think? Could be. I was there. Uh, Groningen at, at had a really good team, but uh, talent wins when they work as hard as the others. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, talent, if talent is a bit lazy, they're never going to win games any anyway. Aberdeen, they struggled a bit, but I mean, the, the work rate of the Aberdeen football players at that time was so high, so intense. Uh, they had a full emotion in the game. I mean, it was a deserved victory for, for Aberdeen. At some point, I was I was I was cheering for Aberdeen as well because uh, as 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 the game went on, I mean, uh, Groningen get frustrated, uh, the wrong energy in the in, in in the game, and the Aberdeen players, I mean, they just battled and and played some good football. That's always the the way to uh, to play games. I mean, you can play bad. Any any player plays a bad game, but you can't work bad. You always have to work hard. And there was a difference in that 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 game anyway in Groningen, which I saw saw live. There was a really good uh, performance of the Aberdeen football uh, players. Theo, obviously, you've gone on to have a, a successful coaching career, um, more latterly in the professional ranks with uh, with the reserve side at FC Twenty and. I know that you're very heavily focused now on, you know, running youth camps and, and looking at youth football. For everything I've read about you recently and that I've seen you talk about, you talk very effusively about youth development. And this is an area that Aberdeen are now really looking to put in a lot of time and a lot of focus on going forward again. Is there any kind of advice you would offer to to Aberdeen in terms of their youth development? Uh, first of all, uh... You've got managers come and managers go. And and the basic thing is in youth development is to make the players you take as a 12-year-old boy into your youth system, every player 
has the right to get uh, the development opportunity to make it into the first team from 12 to 14 to 16 to 19 to 21 or whatever. That's the basic line of youth development. And I always say youth development is the main thing of a football club. A 12-year-old boy, a 12-year-old striker has to play, has to learn how to play, how they play in the first team. And that is not only for strikers, but for every player on the position, even a goalie. So I always say you first come youth development, it's the life of the, of the team. And the first team has to play as the youth players are getting developed. And you, you see with most teams, managers come in and they change style of play. So a boy who, who has, has learned to play as a, as a, as a fullback uh, for five years and get it into his system in his brains, and then a new manager comes in and he is expecting something else from a, a fullback. It doesn't fit. It, it doesn't make any sense. You're developing players on a different on a style of play. You want to play in a first team. So if you play three up front, youth development is playing three up front. Then a new manager comes in and he plays two up front. Then me as a head of youth, I would say, can I have a word with the man with the with the with the board? What's happening now? And and that's what you see nowadays. I mean, uh, Stephen Glass co comes in now. I mean, Derek McInnes did, a, did was there seven years. He played the he played the style. Of course, you've got you've got different kind of. Uh, you, you can't always play the same kind of game. But the structure has to be the same. If you, if you, if if the youth system is playing four three three with wingers, you're developing wingers. You and 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 if they're old enough, they know exactly what to do in the first team. And that's the, the most important thing of youth development. The first team has to play, actually, that's, you have to turn it around. The first team has to play how the players in the youth development teams are getting developed or, or learning the game. I think that's where <clears throat> Aberdeen are now starting to finally move towards, is that idea about having a, a philosophy that runs through the club from first team to youth team. And so that when the time comes for Stephen Glass to move on, whether that's because he does such a good job that somebody comes in and takes him or it doesn't work out and he's, he's asked to leave. But then when a new, a new manager, a new coach comes in, it has to be a manager or a coach who's willing to work with the philosophy, not they're going to come in and rip it all up and start all over again. Because as you say, you then just waste. I mean, if a, if a manager leaves and the board has to pick another manager... You go to, you have a look and a manager available and you say, okay, who's playing 4-3-3 uh -huh, and is yeah. successful? If a manager applies for the job and he's only playing 4-4-2, if I would be in charge, out. We're going to play 4-3-3. I need a manager who is successful in a 4-3-3 system. I think myself and, and, and the two guys who I host this podcast with, I think we're all kind of fully on board with that idea. And I think we're looking forward to hopefully seeing the club now moving forward in that sort of approach. It's a much more continental Europe approach, I guess, in, in one way, certainly a more Dutch or German kind of approach to football. So 
fingers crossed that's what we start to see. But Theo, I'm going I'm to wrap up now, um, if that's okay, because I've taken up way too much of your time already. Oh, well, I've got plenty of time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to ask you um, one final question, and this is going to be a question we're going to ask all of our guests. Yeah. Quite a simple one, right. but what does Aberdeen Football Club mean to you? It, mean, it means a lot. I mean, it's, 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 it's a part of my life. And I, I, had some, I, I had a couple of teams. I played with seven different kind of football clubs. Aberdeen is, is, is uh, the only team I played abroad. Uh, I like Scotland. Uh, despite all the, the problems I had with, with, with Aberdeen, I had a, uh, when I came to Aberdeen, I had, a, uh, I had a boy who was six months. And he grew up his first four years of three years, he was he was for almost four when we left, and that always comes in our family back when we talk about Aberdeen. With my son, my son is, I mean, he had his first boyfriends. There were Scottish boys. When he when he came back to Holland, he was talking English to boys to to the kids. That makes it special as well. That always comes around. He, I mean, I played for twenty seven years. We never talk about Twente. Aberdeen comes always back in our talks when my son is home uh, from the West, where he's living now. So Aberdeen, I mean, and, and the people, I mean, I'm Dutch. I know how Dutch people are. The Scottish are far more friendly, I have to say. So, no, the, yeah, it's, it's true. I mean, the, the Dutch people, I mean, we live in a small country with 60 million people. So, I mean... But uh, the football club, Aberdeen Football Club, is is, is, is really important for me. Theo Tinkat, on behalf of the guys on the ABZ Football Podcast, thank you for your time and stand free. You're welcome. And that wraps up this week's episode of the ABZ Football Podcast. Thanks for joining us and please remember to like, subscribe, follow, whatever on your podcast player of choice. Join us next week where we'll cast our eyes back over leg two of qualifying round three of the Europa Conference League and our League Cup tie against Wraith Rovers. We'll hopefully be previewing the Dons making a trip to Baku or Cyprus for the ECL playoff round. And we'll take a look at Hearts as we prepare to make a first visit to Tynecastle since December 2019, because, you know, the championship, lol. To round things off, we'll also be joined by a man who scored 79 goals for Aberdeen over 184 appearances between 1992 and 1997. Picking up a League Cup winner's medal during his time, that's right, it's big Duncan Shearer. We look forward to seeing you then. Stand free.